It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. If anybody in their right mind is worried about Jalen Brunson translating the next level, then they didn't watch him play. I believe their team is happening, man. I really do not think that they're going to be denied. Whether it's the fight Bills, the Birds, the Fly Guys, the Process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. Stop feeding John me to car bombs. Run the ball, control the clock, don't do anything stupid. And John Mita. Kids out there, make sure you practice your free throws. Dear God, give me an interview with the Eagles scouting department. I know I can do better. What's up, what's up? It is the Brotherly Love Podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes. You know what, you love it. Check us out on Twitter, at Love Podcast. Holla at your boy, Johnny Mita. It's going down. Oh, man, Halloween version of the podcast? You should have let him with a little ghetto boy. You know what I mean? That probably, how about Monster crap. Mash? Could have gone Monster Mash. Oh, Monster Mash. All the old people would have loved that one. <laughs> we know. We got, yeah, man, we got a bunch of them tuned in. Yeah, so let's uh, – I, I guess we're going to start off, Joe, with some of the people why this podcast is taking place on Halloween, whereas most people that have children take their kids out on Halloween. But why were we able to get this done tonight, Joe? You tell me. Tell, tell the audience. Well, you – Tell this story. Originally, a couple days ago, I think it was Monday, I was like, uh, how's Wednesday? And you were like, Halloween? So you were initially caught off guard by my reaction to a possible Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening podcast, to which I said, in Corn Country, a.k.a. Iowa, they do things a little differently. They have what they call Beggar's Night, and that is the kids' version of Halloween on October 30th. So we took our kids out last night, and the neighborhood streets were packed. And the premise, I believe, and you can Google this, Wikipedia, whatever, the premise, I believe, uh, you're supposed to. The kids are supposed to go up and tell a joke. So essentially, they're you know, begging for their candy or whatever. But some people will be at their door and be like, "What's your joke?" And then the kid tells the joke, and they get the candy, and they move on to the next house. Now, this is obviously this was new for us five years ago, being East Coasters and living everywhere else on the planet. It felt like, and nobody else does it this way. I was told that at one point it got shifted to this type of uh, format, if you will, because they didn't want the kids out when the older folks are boozing and going out and having their Halloween. You know, you get some people drinking and driving. So they thought, I guess it would be safer. Um, I don't know. It's, it is a very, very much a Midwestern thing and maybe even as isolated as like the part of Iowa we live in. That much I can't figure out. But last night, October 30th, the mischief night you and I grew up knowing is actually beggars night where the kids go out for their candy. That's just, I mean, to me. That's uh, it's mind-blowing. I know. It, it, it's mind-blowing, but I mean. Because today the kids I, I get mean, up, I, the kids get up, and it's like, happy Halloween, but we already had Halloween. Yeah, it, it feels <laughs> like it takes something away from them. I don't know. Yeah, but, I agree, man. Hey, but it opened up the window for us. Yeah, a it did. To knock Halloween it. Podcast. That's right, Halloween edition. And it could, exactly, and it could have come at a better time. Specifically because the NFL trade deadline went down yesterday. Yeah, it sure did. And by the way, um, Johnny Mita, I probably should have been better prepared with a little spooky music or, or what have you. But I, I do I do have to say, for the Halloween-based edition, uh, I've got to send you a photo of the kids' costumes because you, you will love 
you're not on Snapchat, so you don't see it. I, you would love their their outfits. Kara created well, I, a college game day look for the kids. Well, I, well, I heard that your wife, and nobody expects anything less from beautiful Kara, did a tremendous job because I heard from your brother-in-law today overseas. He's in France. He was at the game in London. So he gave me a call today and said that the kids' costumes were absolutely phenomenal. So please send the photos. Because apparently the photos from France didn't make it to my phone. Yeah, yeah, you got it. I'll take care of that. They did get a lot of compliments going up to the various houses, so that was pretty cool. It wasn't uh, Jake's idea or Kara's idea for the college game day theme. It was actually one of his buddies, but they kind of did. Anybody they, play Lee Corso? Well, so basically they kind of had like they were the two broadcast, you know, Herb Street and and whatever Reese Davis or whoever Reece, it is. Davis, yeah. So basically, oh. they were two sportscasters with the college game day like. Uh, podium in front okay. of them. So I'll send it Beautiful. to you. Anyway, now that we bogged everybody else down that wants to talk Eagles football here on the Brotherly Love Podcast, we will jump right into it. You want to you go Golden Tate trade or you want to go with the season-saving win in London now with the bye week upon the Eagles? Let's, let's go season-saving uh, season win because I think it leads into it, okay. to, to the next part of this yep. equation. All right, so. well, 24-18, birds over the Jaguars. It was a bit of a sleepy first half. Uh, in fact, the Eagles' touchdown didn't come till late. They were trailing six nothing for, uh, you know, three nothing after one quarter. It was kind of that sleepy first half for the Birds. Then they got a turnover. Malcolm Jenkins, Avante Maddox. Next thing you know, there's a little life on the Eagles' sideline. It felt like Josh Adams, a big day, his best in the National Football League. Averaged almost seven yards a carry. Finished with 61 yards on nine attempts. Carson Wentz. Another pretty darn good game, completion percentage-wise. Threw for almost 300 yards, three touchdowns. Did have that ill-advised interception. Uh, and they spread the ball around. I mean, if you look at the receiving totals, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, not including Wentz, like nine or ten guys that caught passes. Wentz obviously caught his own batted ball in that first series and turned uh, chicken you-know-what into chicken salad. Anyway, it was a... It was a much needed win. A se- to me, a season saving win. You go three and five into the bye, it's lights out. Four and four, you rest up, you get healthy. You got the Cowgirls at home Monday or prime time, then coming up Sunday night football. So you've got a chance to be right in the division conversation, obviously, more than halfway through the season now because of the 24 18 win in London. And again, look, difficult environment, time travel. You know, the the jet lag, the time zone differences, but they got it done. This team, for they haven't done it a lot this year, but they found a way to win. And again, another close game, another one-possession game. The Eagles are, are making their their season MO, one-possession games, it, it seems like, this year. But they get it done by six, and they get the win to go to four and four. Your thoughts, John Mina? There were some good things to take away from this game, and then there were some glaring you know, weaknesses that we've seen all year. Again, they get off to a very slow start. You know, we're constantly riddled by the injuries on the offensive line. You know, Jason Peters starts the game. He plays literally a quarter and then has to get taken out, which I think is just, you know, when it comes to coaching, I just don't think that's a great, great way to do things. I get it. Jason Peters is a warrior. But if you can't build that continuity on the offensive line, I think we're going to have some problems. I believe that over the course of the bye week, I think they need to get the young kid ready, the Australian kid. I know he's a bit of a project or Maliana, but – I really think that we have to get our offensive line in check, you know, with not constantly shoveling pieces in and out. 
I think that is going to help Carson Wentz, and I think it's just going to help the offense as a whole. If there's one thing that we also saw in this game, Joe, is that our offense lacks another talented playmaker. So many times where the Eagles need a big play to come from somewhere, they just weren't getting it. One thing that I did like to see is they finally got Dallas Goddard involved, had a brilliant play on that touchdown. The play design for that play was incredible. If I were the Eagles, I would seriously go back to the years, and I know this guy rest in peace, but I would go back to when Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez and the way the Patriots deployed their two tight ends and using various different two tight end sets. Because when those guys were hitting on all cylinders, that Patriots offense was very prolific. I think that's something we need to do. The other glaring notice that I see with this football team, again, is the second half adjustments. All last year, what made this team great? It, it seems like in the second half, they adjusted so well, and they made the necessary adjustments, and it just seemed that, that they were just able to click. This year, it seems like we kind of digress. Second-half adjustments aren't being made, and it's just, my God, can we stop having these nail-biters again or, like, just squandering leads? You just never feel like it's ever safe. Then they found a guy like Dexter McDougal. He missed so many tackles, and I get it. He's been out of football, and they picked him up off the street. But then he played 51 snaps in the Carolina game. Again, in this Jacksonville game, he makes tackle after tackle. And one thing I look at, too, is, and this might be a blessing in disguise, and I hate to say that, you never want to see anyone get injured, but Jill Mills went down with an injury, and there's kind of been, I don't know if you've heard any information, we've really not kind of been updated on the, the severity of his status, but I think that opens up the, the door for Russell Douglas to start at the outside corner with the bye week, everyone gets healthy, maybe Sidney Jones is back in the fold. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what Russell Douglas and the other thing I looked at is when they brought pressure against Blake Bortles, the Eagles were so successful when they brought an extra linebacker. I know. It was li- it was night and day. Malcolm, night and day. When they bring Malcolm Jenkins up in the box, you know, that's the type of pressure where Jim Schwartz says, you know what, listen, if we get beat, we get beat. But when they brought the pressure, the quarterback had no time to make the decision, to make the proper throw. So I did like seeing that, but I just think we need to see a little more of it. Um, but other than that, listen, a win's a win. They snuck one out. It's, it's time, and um, and it just leads us to the trade deadline. So there's so many holes, right? Offensive line, shaky with the injuries. Lane Johnson, something I didn't mention before. He's out with a spring MCL, which is literally a four- to six-week injury. You had Jalen Mills go down that corner. So then it's like, now do you need another corner? Obviously, the issues at running back. Uh, Josh Adams came up really well. I'm happy to see him. I've always been a big fan of his. You know, the fumbling we could do without. You know, he's got to secure the football, but I thought he had a real nice showing. That was good to see. The Garrett Blunt roll. But uh, I guess it's time to get to the trade deadline, Jeff. Yeah, I want to add one more more question for you before we hit the addition of Golden Tate here on the Brotherly Love podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. But do you... Is this going to be running back by committee the rest of the year? Is Corey Clement still have a role in this football team? Do you believe in Wendell Smallwood to be the bell cow? Or is this now Josh Adams after the bye, his opportunity for for however long it lasts? I mean, is it uh, was that Bryce Brown, right, where he came on and for four or five weeks he was chunk plays? And, I mean, what? how do you see the running back situation down the stretch? Well, 
Well, I mean, this is, team has always been seen, even last year, like running back by committee. Uh, the scary part is where is Corey Clement? Did? I thought that, you know, he played such a vital role in last year, and he's, he every time he touches the football this year, he's had some good plays. Now, again, he got injured about three weeks ago. Is he still nursing the injury? Is he not fully back? But it's very surprising to me the fact that they were giving Smallwood more of the snaps than they were. Because if you would have told me at the beginning of the season, I would say this is going to be Clemens' breakout, you know, time to time to be the breakout running back person. But, it's I, again, I think it's going to be by committee. Uh, Darren Sproles, that's another addition. I, we hope to get him back. Uh, I'm, I'm praying that he comes back for the Cowboys game. The reason why I'm saying that is, you know, you hate to say it, but a lot of the reasons when you play running back in the National Football League, one of your major responsibilities is that you have to be able to pick up the blitz. And Darren Sproles is the best running back in our stable of backs that picks up the blitz, which won't get Carson killed. So, again, I think it's going to be a sprinkle of everything. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see when Darren Sproles is healthy and ready to return to the roster what one of those running backs is not going to be suited up. Yeah, it's a great point. I don't know if uh, that answered your yeah, question. Yeah, no, at I, all, I, I didn't even think about somebody having to go inactive. But yeah, there's a there's a darn good chance that that would be the case. Then um, I think they will stick with the committee. Obviously, I mean, at this point, what other option do they have? Sproles coming back will be a nice addition, especially screen game. Trying to put an extra weapon out there in space. Maybe Sean Lee has to move out and cover Sproles in that Cowboys game. Now you're freeing up the middle of the field for Goddard and Ertz. And now Golden Tate. And so let's go right to it. The Eagles land a guy with a lot of experience. It's the final year of his deal. Ninth year pro from Notre Dame. This year already 44 catches, over 500 yards, three touchdowns, almost 600 grabs in his career. He's won a Super Bowl. He's been around the block. He torched the Cowboys earlier this year to the tune of eight grabs, 132 yards, and two scores. you got to love that. Um, If they can expose some of those matchups again, Eagles roll that tape back. Who knows? But, you know, you're talking about a guy with a lot of experience, probably more comfortable in the slot. I don't know what this means for the rest of the receivers. If there's a a bigger picture thing here, I don't know if Golden Tate will be part of the plan down the line, possibly next year, re-signing him, whatever. But you've got now a receiver in exchange for a third-round pick that's got pedigree, and he gives you another weapon. I like the move. I told you going into the trade deadline, I wasn't so sure that this team was just one move away from Going back to being as great as they were last year, I don't know that one piece solves the solves the problem, pieces the puzzle together. I, I don't know, but I'm excited about it. They got arguably the best receiver available. I guess you could make that argument. They didn't give up a ton for him. Uh, I know it's a half-season rental if he walks, but the Eagles have two second-round picks. If I'm not mistaken, they have their first-round pick again this year, which they haven't really had the luxury of having the last couple years because of the Wentz deal. So if you can't make something happen in the draft with a one and two twos, then that doesn't matter. Like Everything else is irrelevant after that. You're going to have some great picks available for your football team when it comes up in April. So a third you can part with. Um, And we have seen, you look around the National Football League at a lot of undrafted free agents having an impact. You look at the Eagles running back situation. A lot of those guys were undrafted. Or, you know, the free agent signing. So, I mean, you can add pieces that aren't even in the draft. Free agency, undrafted free agents. So, I'm not concerned about a third-round pick at all. If that's the asking price, I think it's a good deal. I kind of love the trade, to be honest with you. What do you mean, kind of love it? 
You're all in. <laughs> you already got your well, you already I'm, got I'm, your number nineteen order, don't you? NFL shop. <laughs> well, listen. You know, I was a big proponent of bringing back a guy like Deshaun Jackson. However, it seems like Tampa Bay just kiboshed. They weren't going to get rid of him. Um, the thing, when I think about Golden Tate, man, there's one word that comes to mind for me, and it's production. Here's a guy that caught 90 balls three times in his NFL career. That is a lot. That means that this guy is basically catching the ball like between six and eight receptions a game. So he's going to bring a lot of production to the table. Good thing with him is, is the fact that he can play any wide receiver position on the field. He also comes with some running back skills pedigree. Again, another one reason why he is he's actually, in the last five years, he is number one on the list for yards after the catch. That's something oh, he, you love it. You love the yak. I love a good yak. I also like the fact that he is a cowboy killer in his career. He has just torched the boys, which this couldn't come at a better time the fact that he'll be facing that at home. And if this guy likes the world on fire, beats up on the Cowboys, put up his fan base, it's going to go absolutely wild. But again, it's just now he becomes, listen, he is the second best receiver on this football team. This is what they were lacking. They were lacking another playmaker, let it be at the running back position or wide receiver. But we all know one thing. This is all about the passing game. And Doug doesn't really like to run the football that much. So, therefore, I think it was the best move that they could have made at the time. And I, I really think this is going to be huge. The other good thing is the fact that they do have the bye week off, and then they have another week to get him acclimated. That is huge. When you start and you come to a different football team and you need to learn a new system, it's going to take a little bit to get on the, um, get on board. And listen, be patient, Philadelphia fans. It might even take a couple weeks. But I really like what this guy brings to the table. He's gritty. He's tough as nails. The guy makes some tremendous blocks. I watched his career at Notre Dame. He is just a solid, overall, underrated football player. And he's like, to me, he's like the Swiss Army Knight as far as receiver goes because you can line him up anywhere on the field. He can do jet sweeps. He's carried the ball a lot in his career. And we all know, know Dougie likes a little trickeration. So it'll be interesting to see how they deploy this guy in the future. But I think it's you've got to give credit, and you make a great point, Joe. Because of the fact we had the luxury of two second-round picks, to give up a third, people are also worried that this could just be an eight-game rental or even more if the Eagles do make the playoffs, which I think will happen. And the guy makes like $10 million, okay? Nick Foles currently is making $11 million. So I think this guy would even take a discount to play with a young, great, up-and-coming quarterback like Carson Wentz, knowing that he has the opportunity to win late in his career. So I wouldn't be all worried about him. The other thing is, too, if this guy leaves, if Golden Tate leaves in free agency, we'll still then get a compensatory, maybe like a fourth-round pick. So it's not all that bad. He has 27 of his grabs this year uh, in the third and fourth quarter, which obviously you're looking to move the sticks a lot of times, Eagles, these one-score games, and 15 of his catches on third down. So... I just I think your Swiss Army knife comparison or analogy is perfect because yes, you can line him up all over the place. He's got experience. You mentioned that he's kind of, uh, you know he's gritty, but he, he hasn't missed a lot of games in his career. I think he's missed one game or something over the last handful of years, so he's durable. All those things considered, I like it. Again, I just the only reason I have any hesitation at all is does this now make them a top one or two team in the NFC? Now you could argue before the Golden Tate trade, maybe the Eagles were the top two or three upper echelon of the NFC after all they're the defending freaking champs. But 
I just don't know that one move with what I've seen this year is going to be the difference. However, this makes them a way better football team. It gives them another weapon. It adds depth should you have another injury at a skill position level. Again, for a third-round pick, to me, why wouldn't you make this deal? I, to me, it makes no sense to sit and say, oh, we, it was too rich for our blood. The Eagles are not in that type of scenario. They're not in a rebuild, as we all know. They're in a win-now mode. And the brass, give Howie credit, got it done again, finding a way to add, add a piece to get better, and you don't give up a whole lot, especially considering, again, the two second-round picks and your own first-rounder this year as well. Compensatory pick, should that play a factor, you could end up getting something back if Golden Tate walks in free agency. All right, Johnny Mead, anything else on the birds? You get the bye week. We'll maybe try and knock one out before they, uh, they pound the Cowboys on national television. Anything else on the birds? Let's take this bye week, take some time off. I love the fact that they have a bye week, especially like right in the middle of the season. Yep. You know, some of those teams have their bye week after like week four, which I think is a disadvantage. So it's nice and get away from football left, but just come back and know that, you know, your half your season's over. So it's a whole new half season, and hopefully we get some guys back from injury. Some guys get the much needed rest, and uh, we bring back some of the playmakers that we've been missing. That's for sure. All right, Johnny Mito, before we go into our rant, Philadelphia Flyers are a mess. Now, they get a big win last <laughs> night in Anaheim, getting back on track a bit. They're 5-7-0, and 10 points through 12 games. They're hoping the West Coast trip can save them. Last night, a big win. Nolan Patrick factoring in. That was great to see. Uh, but they have, I don't know how much you've watched. I haven't watched a ton, but you just look at the numbers. They're not pretty. Goal differential, minus 13. That is the second worst in the conference. Only Detroit is worse. They only have three wins on the year. Basically, the Rangers grease fire of a season, the terrible wings, and the brutal Panthers. The only thing keeping the Flyers somewhat relevant right now when you look at the conference, but they already are four points out, essentially, of a playoff spot. You know, in the early going, I know that's not a big deal, but there's a lot of teams ahead of them. I don't know how much longer Dave Hackstall survives. I just don't. I, I, I believed when they brought him in that Ron Hextall knew what he was doing, taking him from North Dakota. He had coached Ron Hextall's kid there. Like, they had a good relationship. I get it. And at times, we've seen sparks of brilliance from this team. At times, we've seen mediocre play, almost that lackluster play down to your opponent's ability, which has always frustrated me. I thought going into this year, they'd be a little bit better than last year. And again, I know it's a long season. I know there's 70 games left, but the start is very underwhelming. That's got to be a concern. And even the most you know, staunch Hackstall supporters have to be wondering if the chopping block is around the corner. And now, with all that said, I will add this. I really believe that in... In Flyers land, right, Hextall and the brass, there's not a chance in you-know-what that they think they're winning the Stanley Cup this year. I know that they're building for the future. I know they believe that Carter Hart is the goalie of the future, and he needs time in the minors. So if you're thinking Stanley Cup for the Flyers, you're, you're fooling yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that you just stay with a head coach and ride it on out. So that'll be the interesting part for me. Can Hextall separate all those feelings and that and that bromanship he's had for Hackstall, which is why he hired him. Can he separate all that, even though he doesn't think that they're really going to win the Stanley Cup this year, does he make a move sooner rather than later if they don't start playing better hockey? That's what I want to see. Because right now there doesn't appear to be a huge pulse with this hockey team. They don't seem to be playing with a lot of fire. They're obviously not winning more than they're losing, which is never a recipe for success as a head coach. 
So below 500 right now. I, I'm just curious to see what type of leash Hackstall has with this group. Should they continue around mediocrity or worse? Yeah, I mean, I was actually, you know, at a wedding this week, and this guy had this gritty shirt on, and, and I asked him the question. I said, oh, obviously, you're a huge flyer saying, you know, what do you think they should do? And the first word to come out of his mouth is, first thing they should do is fire Dave Hackstall. And I, listen, it, it just seems like, and I agree with you, you're, you're looking for the team to make some progress and look a little better than, and it just seems like they're regressing. And some of your young players, Ivan Kromov, he's been terrible. Like, he is just having a terrible season. And some of the other young players, and the whole team has been a train wreck. Their defense has been, you know, marginal at best. Well, yeah, the, the, the defense stinks. That's that's one of the biggest right, problems. Right. Like, yeah. their, their defense yeah, right. is, legi- yeah. is legitimately average at best. And that's concerning. Yeah. But you can't... You can't change that overnight, but they yeah. just—I haven't seen a lot of improvements to it. Like the day that Andrew McDonald is not wearing a Flyers jersey anymore will be one of rejoice for me. Okay, there take the go. A off the sweater. Like one of the worst contracts in the history of National Hockey League defenseman contracts has got to be Andrew McDonald, and it's got to be expiring soon because he's been around. I feel like he's been wearing a Flyers sweater since I was ten years old. That's how sick of him I am. Okay, he brings nothing to the table. All right, Radko Gudis, he is what he is, I get it, but he stinks. So let's, at some point, move on. The development of Hag, Sanheim, Morin, like these, Provorov, and Ghost. That's what your yeah. wagon is tied to if you're a Flyers fan. If those guys don't eventually become, in some form of those handful of guys I just named, if they don't become a top four, then you've wasted your time. Like, I know there's a development thing that's got to go on, all right? I see it every day. You have to develop. And some guys, it takes them a half a season. Some guys, it takes them five years. And it's just whether or not you guess right on waiting it out for player XYZ or moving on. But if they don't get more from Hag, Sanheim, Morin, Ghost, and Provorov, then you have to start over along the blue line, either through trade or free agency or whatever. But they, those are the guys with Carter Hart that you want to be the nucleus, all right? If you can defend and you can skate and you have a good goaltender, you will win your fair share of hockey games. The skill up front, there's a ton of it around the league. Let's be honest. Yeah. Well, and again, and, and just another thing that's going to haunt this, that's been haunting this franchise for decades, goalkeeping. I mean, you know, I saw new with head goalkeepers with Michael Neuvirth and Ellie, and for him just, not to make another move to get somebody else in here. I'm telling you, man, they're just waiting it out. They are waiting for Carter Hart to save the franchise. I know. Yeah, I know. And Carter Hart is apparently been lit up in the minors. Well, that's fine. The minors is a tougher league sometimes. Listen, he needs needs time down there. He needs at least this season, if not the next season. And so you got to pump the brakes on the Stanley Cup talk, if that's what you were thinking going into the year. Anybody out there listening, like, it's just not realistic. But again, if yeah. those core defensemen don't develop, then it doesn't matter how good Carter Hart is. And so oh, that's good. the scary part. Their defense is brutal. You look at uh, when I see their lineup, I look at their forwards and I go, that's a pretty good forward group. Like they should be able to compete. They should be able to win most nights. They should be able to put up 3-4 goals most nights. I believe in their forwards. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm biased, maybe I'm a bit naive, but I believe in the forwards. It's the defense that is an absolute joke and has been for years, 
And until those guys take that next step or you move on and get another crop of them in here, and until Carter Hart's ready, that unfortunately is the sad reality of the Flyers where they might be the seventh A seed like we've seen over the years and they get bounced in the first round or they just missed the playoff. They need to either complete, you know, the, the process has to get sped up by one of these guys taking the next step or you've got to some at some point start over. And, and that might be a new head coach. That might be a new philosophy. It might be all the above. But right now, they're just kind of in no man's land. It's the worst spot to be as a franchise in any sport. Yeah, well said. I mean, it's just it, it, the future is not looking bright. It's more looking more dim. But I think eventually, I think maybe in the next 20 games, I think they have to make a – they really have to take a hard look and make a decision on the head coach. Because I just don't know if he's – you always worry about the college, right, the college coach transitioning to the pros. Now, sometimes that's always worked out. But maybe another step for Hacksaw would have been if he started in the minors first, like started, you know, in yeah. the AHL, and then and then came up to, to the next level. So, I honestly, he, he wasn't going to let. I, you're you're right. I hear you. There's not a shot in hell he was leaving North Dakota for a minor league job. Those college jobs are so cushy. That program, I've seen their facility. They're winning national titles. They're competing for the Frozen Four every year. That that facility is a million, million, million dollar joint there in in uh, lovely Grand Forks, North Dakota. Uh, he wasn't leaving for anything other than an NHL head, head coaching job, but that's just the reality of, of hockey today. But All right, let's. Uh, you got a rant. I know you want to rant on the Sixers. Why don't you lead yeah. off because mine's nothing powerful or crazy. I'm just frustrated, and I'll get there in a minute. Go ahead. What's your rant on the Sixers, brother? Oh, yeah, apparently, too, maybe we should tell this since we also cover also national topics. Uh, the Boston Red Sox apparently won the World Series. They did? All right. I must have get, missed that. All yeah. right, go ahead. Yeah, not many of us watch it. All right, let's get to the rain here. we got to talk Philadelphia 76ers, and then what a disappointing start to the season this has been. It's also been disappointing the fact that the way Brett Brown is handling the playing time of one Markel Fultz. You know, he decides to start him, and then he's going to sit him. Listen, if you want to develop this kid, and you want to give him the one thing that he is lacking – is that you've got to trust him and playing in later spots in the game. So I don't understand that. So when he was talking about store hunting and store developing, all right, let's start developing. Yeah, the other thing I need to look at is Dario Sarge. My God, I can't tell you how many times he's come up short on his three-point jump shots lately. He's shooting a woeful 25, under 25%. You know what the reason for that is? Okay, here's the deal, Dario. You need to stop playing. Euro basketball over the summer, okay? You have no legs when you come to the 82-game season. You get off to these lackluster starts and stop doing it. I get it. You want to stay in shape, but maybe you need to work on your game a little more. Give it, you know, make yourself a more versatile player. But when you come in looking this shot and looking this lackluster, it's terrible. Some of this team that I see has just been an Achilles heel over the last three years. It's turnovers. My God. This team turns the ball over more than anyone I've ever seen. Last night, Ben Simmons alone has 11 turnovers. And and, and let's, let's talk about, now that I just brought Ben Simmons' name up, okay? Let, let's talk about Ben Simmons, okay? I know that this kid is a transcendent player, and it's going to be a phenomenal player. But people want to get on Markel Fultz about his shooting, okay? Why doesn't anyone stick it to Ben Simmons about his shooting? While he was bike riding over the summer in California with Kendall Jenner running out million-dollar mansions in Hollywood, maybe he should have been in the damn gym and started shooting. 
And the other thing that cracks me up is the fact that apparently he came out and said that he's just been on teams where he never had to shoot the ball. I don't know anyone that has practiced the game, and I've played the game of basketball for many, many years, that just doesn't go and shoot and work on shooting. It's all you do at the playground. I've never seen anyone go to the playground and just work on their handle and just start dribbling around the basketball court for 45 minutes to an hour. So listen up, Ben Simmons. If you want to become a top three, top five player in the National Basketball Association, you better learn how to shoot the goddamn ball. And because here's the deal. Defenses are just going to leave you wide open. They know how to play you because you don't even attempt to shoot the ball. Because many people want to just kill folks. Listen, at least he's shooting up three. He's made more three-pointers this season than Ben Simmons has. But Ben Simmons, my God, learn how to shoot. The last thing is coaching. Maybe it's time that, you know, Brett Brown, maybe it turns out maybe he's just not the answer. But I know one thing right now. I know one thing. When I looked at these, when LeBron and King James took his talents to the West Coast, to the L.A. Lakers, you thought it opened up a huge window, an opportunity. You saw the Celtics, right? They're like, all right, they're the team that the Sixers have to get by. Now you look at the team that they looked at, that they played last night, the Toronto Raptors. My God, wouldn't it have been nice to get Kawhi Leonard to trade for him, to have him on this basketball team right now? Toronto looks like the second-best team. And Milwaukee is undefeated right now. So right now, the, the, the Sixers are pretty much staring down the four position, where we thought we'd be in the top tier. So here's the deal, Wellman Brand. It's going to be interesting to see what you do at the trade deadline. You know, can you acquire another player? Can you roll the dice and maybe bring in a guy like Jimmy Butler to be that third option, that, that third 20-point scorer? And lastly, when it comes to Joel Embiid, I love everything you bring to the table, Joe Joe. But there's times when you need to stop straying and going outside with your outside jumper and just bring it down inside and learn how to post up and do some bully ball, which you referenced earlier in the year, and just take advantage of people. You know, play to your strength. There's no one in the league that can stop you in the post. So that's my rant. I don't know what's going to help. The other thing is, too, the team is definitely lacking shooters. Where they get that from, I don't know. You know, the loss of Bellinelli and Eli Silva, that comes up huge, but this has just been a terrible start. The Sixers have not won a road game this season. Very disappointing. 0-4 on the road, 4-0 at home. You're 1 2 3 4 5 6 76ers, 10-9-8, 76ers are 4-4. Four four. All right, good stuff, John Mita. I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, the game in London, NFL Network. Thank you for bringing it to me so I didn't have to watch on some web stream or what have you. It was awful that it was 8.30 a.m. to begin with. I can't imagine being on the West Coast or my boy Nolan out in Hawaii where the game kicked off at 3.30 a.m. Now, that's not my point. My point is I was glad the NFL Network brought me the game. What I was disappointed in is that they decided that the game wasn't important enough to bring a real play-by-play team or play-by-play broadcaster and color analyst. Instead, they had Rich Eisen and the Dog and Pony show from NFL Game Day Morning. Because why not give a little cross-stroke where you can to your own programming? So instead, there were 78 guys and Rich Eisen, Mike Orvin, I don't know, Kurt Warner, Steve Mariucci, Jimmy Snuka, somebody's dog. I don't even know who the hell was in the booth. I'm not even sure how they fit in a booth. I've never seen a booth that big that could accommodate that many people. The point is, 
it's disappointing and frustrating for somebody that's in that industry that cares about good play-by-play, that thinks that good play-by-play is more than important to a broadcast for another major entity, the biggest sporting league in the world, arguably, the National Football League, to have a, you know, essentially a primetime game, meaning it's on by itself, standalone broadcast, and rather than trot out a good broadcast team, even the B team, they brought in basically their morning show and said, have at it, fellas, because it doesn't matter. That part to me is so frustrating. The commentary was average at best. Rich Eisen's not a play-by-play guy. It's unfair to him, and it just was below average. Borderline brutal. If the Eagles had lost that game, I'd probably been more pissed about it. But for the most part, they won, so I was able to calm down. I can't stand ESPN does it all the time with their you know Monday night football 10 p.m. game on week one where they have the doubleheader, and they used to put Chris Berman in there. He's not a play-by-play guy. If he was, he's not anymore. You need reps. You need to be used to play-by-play. That is what the broadcaster does. Instead, they turn it over to the dog and pony show. Three hours later, who cares how it sounds? Doesn't matter. That is so frustrating to me. I can't stand it. Rich Eisen, not your fault. The rest of those cronies in there, you all stink. That's all I got. Beautiful. I love it, yeah. You know what I'm saying, though? Like, value the industry. Value the product. Not just like, oh, it's our game day morning crew. Put them in the booth. They'll be fine. Like this players-only thing that the NBA's doing on TNT where literally they're not calling the game, right? It's just a bunch of guys talking hoops. Yeah. And I get it. It's interesting. It's different. It's unique. But from a traditional broadcast standpoint, you know, the the veterans, the, the Hall of Famers, the goats of this industry are turning over in their graves. I mean, it's bad. Well put, brother. That's all well I got. Put. All I right. Hopefully we'll get another podcast where the Birds beat the Cowgirls by 60. If not, we'll do one on the flip side, and we'll all revel in how much the Cowboys stink. That would be wonderful. All right, Johnny Mita, you're the man. God bless. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for everyone listening, man. We appreciate all the support. Brotherly Love SoundCloud. Whoa, let me try that again. Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'll get it right. For John Mita, Joe O'Donnell, till next time, go Birds. We'll see Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.